it's, uh, it's good to be here with you this morning. Uh, amidst, as Ernie said, some, some real, man, I don't, I don't even have words. I don't even know what to say about these situations. And, and I'm sure most of us uh, don't and find ourselves a little overwhelmed. But as Ernie has mentioned, we, we can rest in the fact that God is in control. Sorry, I'm getting pointed at. I have no idea. Oh, yeah, the little ones. Sunday school. Smonga, that's all you. You can, do you want to go? It's with Sharon. Okay, he says. <laughs> Just because it's with Sharon. Sorry, she had no idea. All I see was, couldn't figure it out. Anyway, if you want to turn to Daniel chapter 4, what we're going to do is we're going to finish up here in, in just a minute, but I just want to tag on to what Debbie talked about. Um, this last week, I got to be in Calgary at an AGC meeting talking with other pastors, and I was reminded again of a simple truth. The fact that the town of Banff is calling on the churches and saying we need help and, and understanding that we're helping in the name of Jesus and they're giving us the free reign to do whatever we need to do uh, is, is unbelievable. It's shocking in today's world that the town is, is approaching us and asking us to do this. And so what an opportunity we have in front uh, of us to say, hey, we see a need. And as Debbie pointed out, Scripture says, you see this need? Let's see how we can meet that need. And so I really encourage you, uh, talk with your family about, you know, having your whole family come and chop potatoes or peel potatoes or carrots or whatever it might be uh, and, and serve in that unique way. And it's so tangible for you to show uh, your family, to show our broader church family and to show the community. We just, we just care about each other. and We want to help wherever we can. So I just really challenge you to do that. All right, chapter four. We're going to finish off the last few verses here of Daniel. So I wrote here in my notes, this will be a short sermon. I really am going to try. I'm really going to try. It's just nine verses here that we're going to look at. Uh, but if you weren't here last week, then we do need to do a little bit of a recap because we're going to start in verse 20 with all of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and we don't really, you maybe not know what does all of this mean. So the first kind of 27 verses of chapter 4 are really, well, this whole chapter is really unique in Scripture. It's the only chapter in all of the Bible that is written from a pagan's point of view, meaning that King Nebuchadnezzar is now going to speak of events that happened in his lifetime and what happened within his heart, and, and that is just totally unique. We don't know, and, and we're going to make some suggestions about how the end of this, this chapter ends and how the end of King Nebuchadnezzar's life ends. We don't know his heart, but what we seem to see here is, is a great change. And so the first three verses of chapter four, you seem to see, well, I guess we know it this way, is what we're going to read today ends okay. Because in the first few verses of chapter four, he says, I want to tell you all that the most Sorry, that God Most High has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So we know that that's how it ends. So we're going to get somewhere here with King Nebuchadnezzar where he humbles his heart before God, 
And that's really the whole point of the dream, of the interpretation, and then now as we talk about the fulfillment of that dream, is pride and humility. And these are huge things because our own pride is probably the greatest inhibitor of our relationship with Christ. And that's not unique to you or to me. When you read through Scripture, that's the theme that we see over and over and over. God says, will you come to me and will you come underneath my will for you because what I have for you is good. And what we see so often, and we'll talk about a few examples of this, is no, I think my way is better. I think I'm actually smarter than you, God. I know more than you. You, you clearly aren't doing things the right way. And, and over and over, humanity fails in this test. And Nebuchadnezzar fails a little bit more obviously than most of us. But this is going to be so helpful and so similar for us. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And it says in verse 4, he was at ease in his house and prospering in his palace. And then this dream came upon him. And we talked about this last week, that when we are just simply content to just be and we're not worried about uh, serving and helping others and caring for others, but when we're only concerned about our own needs and then we sit back and go, oh, I've got everything I need. I, I'm, I'm just content and I'm happy. That is, is never, never a good sign because that's not what we're created for. And so the king gets rocked in this dream and he's totally unsure. What does this dream mean? And, and Daniel comes along and he essentially says this. He says, this is another warning from God. And I should say this, between chapter 3 and chapter 4, about 30 years have passed. So God has been at work through the kingdom of Babylon trying to get through to Nebuchadnezzar. And his gracious mercy, he's trying to show him uh, his love and how he actually wants his heart. But he keeps turning away. And so Daniel says, this is another warning to you that if you do not humble yourselves under the authority of God, something pretty severe is going to happen in your life. In fact, what's going to happen is you're going to turn into uh, essentially a wild animal. Your reason is going to be taken from you. You're going to live with the beasts of the field. You're going to eat the grass. You, the great, who self-proclaimed greatest person alive, is going to fall to the very depths. And so Daniel, at the end, pleads with him, saying, repent of these things. Humble yourselves. Humble Mm, sorry, humble yourself under God so that these things don't happen to you. That's the plead that Daniel makes with him. And then, and then it ends, at least the section that we looked at last time. Uncertain, uh, how will King Nebuchadnezzar respond to this? So he's taken so much credit for everything that is happening And he's not ruling the way that God has. And so this warning has happened. So then we get to verse 28. And this is the fulfillment of what happens. Let's read this together. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Do you just hear the arrogance in that? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. 
Seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he wills. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days... I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High God and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and the glory of my kingdom, my majesty, and my splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. I would say this is nothing short of a miracle that happens in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now again, I don't know. It seems to indicate here, and this is the last we have of King Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 5, we move on to the next king. And so it's not just explicitly stated, though I kind of wonder if it's stated enough. Is this this the heart change that we, the reader, as we've been reading about the exile, have been waiting for? Is this where Nebuchadnezzar doesn't just admit Daniel, your God is really powerful. He's capable of all kinds of things. But is this the moment where he goes, he is the one true God? And I think perhaps it's not written explicitly for us with any kind of lasting impact. It just kind of ends here so that we can wonder, so that we can see what God is capable of doing in our lives, and specifically in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar. So let's just, uh, let's just explore this just a little bit. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, but notice the timeline, how long? At the end of 12 months. And so this led me to kind of thinking. So the king's been warned by Daniel uh, through interpreting this dream. Here's, here's what's going to happen. Please, you know, repent of this so that these things don't happen. Acknowledge that the God that I serve, the one true God, he is God. And I wonder, did he have a, an initial change? Was he startled enough to have some kind of a, oh, okay, yes, I'll, I'll repent of this. I'll serve the one true God. Or did days or weeks or did months go by? And what I see that's significant here, especially considering how long, this is over 30 years of King Nebuchadnezzar's rule, is that God is not quick to simply punish and and destroy, but God is out to offer grace and mercy and second chances and third chances and fourth chances. That God is a God of gracious mercy who wants our heart. And so the king, at the end of 12 months, He's been warned. Twelve months is probably long enough that he's forgotten that dream. Or perhaps that he went, well, it never happened, so I guess I'm good. But it says he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. Now again, I don't know 
if this is significant, but this is where my mind went. Can you think of another royal king who was wandering the rooftop of his palace at the moment where his pride got the better of him? I don't know if that's intentional. I kind of think it is. But King David, when he was supposed to be off to go to war, was wandering around the rooftop of his palace going, man, I, uh, I don't even need to go into battle. I don't even need to lead my troops. We're just so superior to every other nation. I know things are going to go well. And then he sees Bathsheba and he gives in to temptation. And throughout the course of those next few days, a huge, huge group of sins are committed. And, and, and I don't know if it's similar, but I just kind of have this thought of as we stand up and we look out on all of our success, all the things we have done, do our hearts, are, are they more susceptible in that moment to give in to that pride and that arrogance? Because it seems like we're not submitting ourselves to God. We're not going to God thankful for all that he has given, but we're looking out and going, man, look at everything that I've done. Look at all that I've accomplished. And he, he says as much, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Look at that from two perspectives. Is from a human perspective, okay, Babylon was the greatest kingdom of that time, um, the Hanging Gardens, which were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, were created in there. It was a spectacle to behold for sure. But did he do it all? How many, of the, how many workers did this take? How many other people that had input into this project? And here he is standing here going, man, I'm good. Look at all I've created. And it's all for my majesty so that I would receive honor and so that I would receive glory. Now, maybe we don't talk that way, but I wonder if that's how we think a lot. We look out on something that we've done, some creation that we've made, some accomplishment that we've had, and we go, man, I'm good. How is that a humble heart? Jordan picked a song there. Um, Give us clean hands, right? We, we are called that God would humble us so that we would understand that nothing that I have, nothing that I do, nothing that I think I'm capable of, none of it comes from my own hand. All of it comes from a merciful God who is at work within me. We need to remember that we learn through the example of King Nebuchadnezzar, but I mean many people through Scripture, that while we have an we expression that we say, Pride comes what? Pride comes before the fall. When we elevate ourselves and we start to think how good we are, it's like our head is that balloon getting blown up and blown up and blown up. And then somebody's just got to stick that pin in it. And the ego's got to pop. And we have to recognize I deserve nothing. I don't have anything that I do because of my own abilities. And, and, and I think this is huge, and I know I'm overstating this over and over, but, but I think it's necessary because it's so easy for us to get sucked in and go, man, I worked hard for what I have. There are many people in the world that are working way harder than we are that have nothing. And we cannot forget that. Everything is a gift from God, even the things that maybe we don't want that we have right now the trials that are in our lives, the challenges that we have, the unique obstacles that are there. They're from God for purpose and, and meaning, and He is at work through all of those things. 
And so King Nebuchadnezzar here has been warned, humble yourself, and, and no, he doesn't. And so look at verse 31. It's immediate. While the words were still in the king's mouth, this voice came from heaven. Whether it's God, whether it's an angel, we're not sure. But he simply says this. You think you're the greatest achievement that human history has? You're about to be humbled so low that you're barely even going to be a human. You're going to act like an animal. You're going to grow hair like an animal. You're not going to you're going to have these gross nails. You're going to live outside with animals. And in the seven periods of time, uh, commentators pretty much all agree that that's seven years. So just imagine. Let's just say it this way. The last two years of COVID has felt very long, hasn't it? Seven-year time where he didn't speak to another person, where his mind and his reason was lost, and where all he did was essentially eat the grass of the field and lay there like an animal. I think that's about as humbling as it could be. When we read this and when we think of this, it's not meant to be some fantastical story. It's meant to serve as a warning to us too. That there is a God who will humble us. We said that pride comes before the fall. You actually might be interested to know this actually comes from the book of Proverbs. Chapter 11, verse 2 says it this way, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And so Nebuchadnezzar needs to be humbled to gain wisdom because all he has is pride. And so, so then it comes back now in verse 34 to King Nebuchadnezzar's words. At the end of the days, I lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High. James 4 verse 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, he's quoting from the book of Proverbs. If you read through Proverbs, what you see is how to gain wisdom, how to learn, how to become one of understanding. And almost all of it, as you read through it, is not about you and your abilities and your intelligence. It's about you submitting to the Father. You submitting to the one who has created. You submitting to the one who knows all things. And as he is at work within you, you will become wise. I read a book recently for seminary, and it was talking about this exact idea of learning to be a man of humility. And all these very kind of famous Christian authors and and writers and speakers that they interviewed that were known for their humility, for their wisdom, all of them were people that were very slow to speak. They were ready to listen, ready to hear, and then evaluate what was said, and then take that to God in prayer. And I couldn't help but think just how opposite that is to our current culture right now. We're so quick to fight back. We're so quick to jump on Facebook or Instagram or some other social media networking site and and post our opinion about something that we probably have very little understanding in. We're so quick to say, this is what that person should do when the book of Proverbs is teaching us, slow down, submit ourselves to God, 
Ask that he would give us wisdom. Ask that he would give us the understanding so that we would know what to do. And my prayer for us is that it doesn't take what it took for Nebuchadnezzar. That we wouldn't have to go through a period of time like that where God literally, I mean, you could say it this way, as he hits rock bottom. Can't hardly even think for himself. But in the midst of all of that, what's beautiful is that this is not God's punishment and his anger and his wrath poured out. It's all his grace and his mercy because as soon as Nebuchadnezzar is willing to admit that God is the one true God, what happens? He's restored immediately. You see, God isn't just up in heaven looking down on us angry trying to punish us. He's actively pursuing us, wanting to be in relationship with us because he has created you and he loves you desperately. The whole story of the Bible is pointing us to the cross, is pointing us to the Messiah, to Jesus who would come, who would die on the cross for our sins so that we would be forgiven because God didn't want any of us to have to spend eternity in hell. He wants all of us with him. And so as we read, as we think, we, we look at this and we go, God is a God of mercy. And yes, he allows incredibly painful, incredibly difficult things happen to us. But most of the time, those things are due to our own decisions, our own patterns that we see. You look all the way back from, to the Garden of Eden as God says, you can eat of everything except this tree. The serpent comes and tells them, well, why? And instead of submitting to God's will in their own arrogance, they go, no, I'm going to choose my own way. I'm going to take what I want, and it's going to be for me. And that pattern continues, and I said I would give you a few examples. And so you can think of it, Abraham, God promises you are going to be the father of a multitude. You're going to have so many descendants, the earth can't even count them. But he's getting old, and so finally his wife looks at him and says, you know what, just take my servant and sleep with her so that you can have a child because this is, this is not working. We're not going to trust God in his timing. They reach out and they take it for themselves. You see, in the life of Moses, you see this happen several times where he, I'm just going to do it my way instead of wait for God. You see this in the life of Samson who starts to trust his own strength rather than recognizing that where does my strength come from? So much to the point that he tells the very one thing that he knows will take his strength away because he trusts his own strength, not the promise that God has given. Over and over and over in Scripture, we see that a lack of humility and this idea of pride really, really ruins us. We talked about David as well. And so the question, I guess, is this, is will we learn from what we read in Scripture and go, I need to trust in God's timing. I need to submit myself under the truth that God knows what is best for me and he is at work in my heart and that he loves me. Or will I go and will I take it for myself, thinking that I know what's best? It's really easy to be critical of Nebuchadnezzar and all the warnings that he was given and all the miracles that he saw. But if we step back and if we look at our own life and see how God has been faithful and what God has done through, we're no different, are we? God has proven himself faithful in many, many times. And yet it's so easy for us to forget. And then a new situation comes and we go, man, I got to do something about this. I need to take control of this. 
especially when we look at the news and we see what's happening in the world right now. God, what are you doing? How could you allow these situations to unfold? All these things that are happening, what's going on? And then we can either try and impulsively do something about it or we can wait on God and we can say, God, what are you doing? What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show us? What what can I do? I read this week that one of the greatest things that we as Christians can do right now is that there's over 100,000, and the number keeps growing, uh, Christians who have fled the Ukraine and gone to some of these other countries. And where do they go? Straight to other local churches to look for help. And so how can we help? Is we can look at countries like Poland, other countries all around the Ukraine, and we can see what do those churches need? How can we aid them in their attempt to help those who are fleeing? There are so many ways in which we can get involved. All we need to do is ask, God, would you direct me and would you show me what is wise to do with my money, with my time, with my prayers? Back to the king here. So he goes, and and he says it again. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. To me, it seems like he's finally woken up. It's no longer your God is so powerful and I'm just going to add him to the other list of all the other gods that I serve. It seems to me a vast change in his heart here. Now history shows that King Nebuchadnezzar only ruled on his throne a very short time after this before he passed away. And so we just don't have a lot of information beyond this. But I think if we think of what's consistent with Scripture, Scripture says if if we're willing to repent, if we're willing to submit ourselves under God, that He is faithful and He forgives us. And so I think that's what's happening here. And sometimes we may think somebody who accepts Christ on their deathbed where they, they all of a sudden realize their need for God and they only have one or two days or maybe not even that. And we go, well, how is that fair? Again, if we say something like that, then we don't understand mercy and grace. It's God's desire, according to Timothy, according to Peter, that all of us would become saved, that all of us would repent and turn towards him. And see, salvation is not something that I do. It's something that I accept that God has done for me. And so regardless of if I have 10 days or 10 years or 50 years after that moment of salvation, if my commitment to Christ is genuine, then Christ saves us. And that's the truth of what we see here. This is the the markings of what is coming is Nebuchadnezzar saying, you are great. You rule from generation to generation. No one can stay your hand or say to you, what have you done? So this is the challenge for us. Is will we live a life of humility, recognizing that everything that we have, everything that we've been given, and I don't just mean possessions, but the abilities that you have, um, the character that God has put inside you, the people that are around you, the situations that you see from day to day, everything God has given you is from his hand and is for purpose and meaning. None of it's accidental. 
None of it is because you worked harder than your neighbor did. It's all because God has purpose and meaning for you. And so will we humble ourselves under that? And will we say, God, I will serve you however and wherever you have called me, and I will submit myself under your leadership? If we do that, I'm not saying that we won't have hardships or we won't have difficulties. So don't hear that. The simple point is this. As God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, is if we refuse to become people of humility, life is going to get very difficult internally for us. Because God's not okay with you just walking away from him. He is going to hound you. He's going to chase after you. And he is going to call you to repentance. And if we ignore, it can get very, very difficult very quickly. John Golding A. writes this. He says, Nebuchadnezzar's life is an example. It's a warning of how not to be led astray by power and achievement. It's a model of how to respond to chastisement with humiliation. He's even more a promise that earthly authorities are in the hands of God, not merely for their judgment, but for his glory. I want to read that last sentence just in light of everything that's happening in our world today. Nebuchadnezzar is a promise that earthly authorities are in the hands of God, not merely for their judgment, but for his glory. God is able to do all things. And as we flip on the news, as we see a new article about what's happening, and as we don't even know how to process it all, may we submit ourselves under the truth that God is in control, that God will work every and any situation, no matter how messy it is, ultimately for his good. And may we rest in that. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these simple verses that, that show a heart that seems to be transformed. And God, thank you that you can transform our hearts. God, would you help us to not be people that are filled with pride and arrogance? Would you help us understand clearly that all the gifts that you have given to us are not because we are worthy of them, but because you and your grace and your mercy have given them to us? May we choose to be good stewards of what you have given to us, graciously giving it to others. So God, we think of, of this new ministry opportunity that our church has to, to feed the hungry in our community and to show the love of Christ to them. You have put this on our doorstep. Would you give us the courage to walk through and to be faithful? God, would you challenge us to consider how we might intentionally give the time for this project? God, above all, help us to love others the way that you love them so that they would see and know who Jesus Christ is. So God, as we go from this place today, we pray for our world, which is so very clearly broken and in desperate need of you. We pray for your mercy and your grace to be poured out on the people of Ukraine. God, we pray for leaders to step in and and do the right thing. 
God, we pray that we would step out in faith and that we would be obedient to what you have called us to do. God, thank you that you can change any heart, that you can change any person. And God, perhaps there's somebody in our lives today that we think of that, that we would define as so far outside of following you. Would this story remind us that no one is too far? Would you give us the faith and belief to know that you love that individual far more than we could and that you desire to be in relationship with them and help us to trust in your process, your timing, in your leading. God, we're just so grateful for all that you do for us. Help us to be people of humility. Go with us this week. We love you. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Um, again, talk to Deb if you would like to help out or, or phone the church. Or you, There's millions of ways to get a hold of us. And we look forward to seeing how this rolls in the next few weeks. Have a good week. Bye-bye.